0: back to surprise mechanics the only podcast about all things spooky i'm your co-host Roman butel and joining me as always is michael jones greetings spooky i see you
1: greetings spooky i see you we've got all these spooky scary skeletons it's not quite halloween yet i mean the halloween is october 31st but you know what it's always halloween in our hearts
0: michael i'm calling this episode uh spooky mechanics preseason. so let's tell everyone what that means Starting next week, which will be our first episode out in the month of September, for two whole months, we are changing the show to Spooky Mechanics, because as people probably know by now, you and I like scary things. And, you know, it's pretty common, I think, in like uh, general pop culture zeitgeist to focus on spooky things in October. A lot of people watch a horror movie every day, you know, Mm -hmm. but one month isn't enough for us. Because we're just real freaks, and we're, we're ghouls and goblins. So we're going to do for two whole months talking only about horror games and movies and things of that nature. To set the table for that and kind of give people a better idea of our sensibilities, today we're just going to be talking about some of our favorite horror things that maybe we recommend for each other and for the listeners, uh, as well as uh, I thought maybe at the end we could kind of tell everyone what the rundown's gonna be.
1: Yeah, that sounds great to me. Um, I'm very excited because I love all things spooky and uh, I mean, I already said it's always Halloween in our hearts. Halloween's one of the best times of the year, so right. I, I'm just very, very excited to jump knee deep into all things spooky and uh, video games, movies and everything. Let's go.
0: And this was kind of a personal tradition. I started myself a couple years back where I, I deemed uh, September just the start of spooky season and I would play horror games for two months. But uh, I took it one step further this year and I decided straight up autumn is a state of mind and August is autumn now. So both as preparation for this, as well as just my own uh, decision, I have now been playing spooky games in all of autumn or August, which is autumn. And I know people are going, but what about the weather? Look, I can't control the weather. All right. And besides, none of us can get used to hot autumns, folks. August is autumn now.
1: Yeah, that unapparent summer air in the early fall.
0: As long as Raytheon's around, we're going to have hot autumns, you know?
1: Yeah, we're going to not not only will it be um, like what hot boy summer, hot girl summer, it's also going to be hot autumn summer. So yeah, there the you ocean go.
0: is on fire summer. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> One last thing I want to clarify. When I said that today we're going to be talking about some of our favorites, I th- I guess there is technically a little bit of an asterisk on that because we are did not choose things that we would be talking about in the episodes. As well as speaking for myself, I did leave a couple things off my list for future uh spooky mechanics things. Um but on that note, uh Michael, what do you have to talk about? Or how many things I want how many things do you want to talk about today?
1: Well, I wrote down a list, uh, and I just kind of went through my libraries and picked the things that stood out most to me that, again, we're not talking about ahead of, uh, you know, there are things here that will not be on the list that will be talked about in the future, but just kind of like some movies, some games. Specifically, um, I'm going back to some old games from the 90s for the horror uh, gaming approach, And then just some classic films from uh, beloved directors. Uh, John Carpenter is a favorite horror film director of mine. And well, gosh, you know, there's a few films on this list that even though we're not talking about all of them, um, there are a few that just really stand out to me.
0: I have four things I want to talk about. Two of them are books, so I thought I could kind of combine those into one. And then I have a movie and a game. Uh, So would you like me to go first or do you want to go first? I'll let you take the reign. Okay. One thing I did also want to mention is, uh, as much as I like horror, I will be the first to admit that I have quite a few blind spots in the like, uh, uh, pantheon, I guess, of horror literature and, and movies and things of that nature, uh, <laughs> you know, things of that nature.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: and so there's like a lot of stuff I still have not seen. And it was cause I, you know, Maybe this could be part of it, too. We can talk about why we like horror when we realized it. And for me, I wouldn't have said I was like a horror fan probably until college, but I always liked being scared. Like I loved going to haunted houses in middle school and high school around Halloween time. Uh, I remember watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel with my family when and at the time I was in like the first grade. And that's obviously not super scary. But when you're, you know, seven or six it's it's pretty frightening but because of that because of like not seeking out horror actively like uh like friday the 13th just a pull one out of thin air that's like a franchise i'm not overly familiar with uh they're i don't know if you saw michael they're adding hellraiser to dead by daylight
1: yes they are uh which quick side note james and i actually played the player test build last night so we got a few rounds in against uh the Cinebite, which was kind of fun it's kind of fun. Uh, it has a a whole new approach. It'll be very interesting. So, when that goes live, uh, we'll we'll probably get to experience it together. I saw it talks. It does talk. It also has a box, a puzzle box. You you have cool. to play with the puzzle box and solve it. It's, it's it's neat.
0: And and that's another one. I've never seen a single Hellraiser movie.
1: <laughs> so oh wow yeah yeah. There's there's a lot of those, but only a few of them. I think you really probably need to see if you're a horror fan, right?
0: And I've, I've never seen a single one. So there's a lot of stuff like that that I feel like I should come clean on. Uh, and, and look, I never said I was a horror expert or anything, just that I like the stuff. How
1: about you? When did you, I don't know, realize you liked it? Have you always liked it? I think there's a part of me that's always liked it. Um, like, just uh, just something about the way a lot of horror films uh, would be, just, I don't know, just interesting. Like, I, I, I did see a lot as, as a kid, so... Um, I think I was probably like eleven or twelve when I first saw Hellraiser, which is definitely not a movie for like eleven year olds. Um <laughs> it is it is very, very like I, I guess satanic in a way. It's got uh, a lot of um like kind of like a cult imagery to it and um a lot of gore, like a just heaping amount of gore. Uh so it is uh one heck of a movie. Uh, If if that's what you're into. But then, I mean, there are also other things in the world of horror that aren't just gore or satanic imagery or uh, flat-out jump scares. And and with that, I think um, video games in the horror genre are usually kind of hard to come by. Like, I, I feel like they aren't as prevalent as, you know, the power fantasy that you get from video games. But, gosh, when a good horror game comes along and, you know, not only are you invested in this experience as if it were like a movie uh you're also in interacting with it um, there's just something there about like again like you said like being scared in that moment you know it's it's kind of like riding a roller coaster as uh, i think alfred hitchcock used to say it's like you get on a roller coaster for the thrills and you do the same thing when you go to see a horror film um, you, you you want that thrill and so um it is probably one of the most adrenaline pumping genres of of entertainment out there just because of that. And there's a lot of creativity in how you get that adrenaline pumping and it doesn't always involve blood and guts. Sometimes it's a little bit more psychological or mysterious. So um, there's just so much there in the genre to enjoy uh, from all sorts of different areas. I think the first big horror thing I was into was a night. Well, I don't even know if you call it horror, but uh, I I had a copy of A Nightmare Before Christmas, the Tim Burton film, on VHS mm-hmm. as a kid, and uh, I was told that all the other kids my age were terrified of that film, but I warped the tape from watching it so often.
0: That's interesting, because yeah, I I liked that movie too, and it never even like a, I I I never even occurred to me that people might find it scary. <laughs>
1: It's it's lightly spooky and, and there are like yeah. spooky things in it that happen, but like gosh, it just I found it so charming. And it probably was like the musical numbers, honestly. Right. But uh yeah, there there it was it was a fun movie.
0: I mean Danny Elfman knows what he's doing.
1: Absolutely. From there, you know, probably that's that's where it began and then uh it just kinda spiraled into a ton of other things um that are also very fun.
0: Yeah, and I feel like
1: as a genre,
0: I definitely gravitate towards horror and comedy. And I think the reason is because those two feel like in whatever medium they're in, they fully take advantage of that medium. Uh, you can do things in a horror movie and a comedy movie that you would be like kind of strange to do in
1: something like a, a straightforward drama. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think you can blend things a lot more, too. Like mm-hmm. there's a um, th- there's this kind of like. Uh, brick wall between like say like a a drama film and a horror film but uh, a horror film can also add drama it can also add comedy it can take any of these other pieces from other genres and uh, somehow blend them into itself and still come out like very interesting and good whereas like the other direction maybe not so much it might be weird um i I can't imagine going to see a rom-com in the theater and it turning out to be a horror film that'd be awesome though it would be incredibly good i've always i've always thought about um the the idea of if i were to direct a movie uh and i i would just be very interested in misleading the public with the uh the the advertising for the film the marketing because in a very hideo kojima way where you know um i I don't know if you've ever seen like their trailer edits of the shining that turn it into a (laughs) happy-go-lucky like father-son story but then you go see, see the movie in the theater and voila it's a horror film that has always been interesting to me and if i ever had the opportunity i think that's something that i would absolutely do let's make this scary movie and then you know, tell everybody that it may not be scary, um, or you know it, it's something kind of entirely different, but then when you go into it, um, it seems that way off the start, and then bam, you're into full scares. And I think that's like essentially how those movies work anyhow. Like you start out and everything's normal, and then uh, things go crazy, and now it's scary, and then hopefully by the end of it, someone's come out the other side a little bit better or a little less scared.
0: This reminds me of a conversation you and I had uh, because we saw Us together in theaters a couple years ago. And comparing it to uh, Get Out, Get Out might be the better movie. I haven't watched either super recently, so I'd have to kind of refresh. But I remember enjoying watching Us more in theaters because the trailers for Us were very different than the movie we got. Whereas with Get Out... It kind of feels like because of Get Out's premise, there's no way to explain that for a, like, mass market consumption without spoiling, you know, the first act or two of the movie.
1: Right. There's, like, this expectation that you kind of know what you're going to get before you go see it. But you can't really do that with horror. Otherwise, you just, you know, give away all of the tricks.
0: Right. Yeah. And it's the same with Hereditary, too, where uh, the Hereditary you know, about 45 minutes, maybe less than into that movie, you realize this is not what I thought I was signing up for.
1: <laughs> okay, let's just dive right in. Since we're on the subject of movies, um, I, I do want to bring back John Carpenter, the uh, master of horror, as he's known. Um, and last year or two years ago, I, I got really into John Carpenter's work as a, a film director. And gosh, does that does that title really ring true? Um, uh, John Carpenter is phenomenally good at making horror films and um, just like off the top of the head off, off of my head, there are three that I would like to briefly touch on. Um, Cause like three is a big number, but Halloween in the mouth of madness and Prince of darkness are the three John Carpenter horror films that come to mind. And, uh, um, I know you've seen Halloween, but have you seen mm-hmm. In the Mouth of Madness or Prince of Darkness? I have not. Those are very different from Halloween, but they all have this, um, it's kind of like omnipresent evil to them in the way that Mike Myers embodies uh, the spirit of evil. And uh, whereas Halloween is like a very straightforward slasher, which like that film as a, like essentially an indie low budget movie uh kick started the entire slasher genre of horror films for the eighties and onward uh so like huge cultural success there as well as just being um a phenomenally good movie uh it, Prince of Darkness is the nearest film since then they made um i think it came out in the mid eighties but uh that one deals with a bunch of college students working with uh theor- like in 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 the realm of like theoretical physics um and and hi- like high level science uh next to religion and literal biblical demons uh and teleporters and it's very very doom like in a sense that uh, that um there is this entity discovered in the basement of a church and um not only are the priests very concerned because They don't know what to do. But uh, you bring science into the mix and you kind of have this blend of the two, which is very neat and interesting. Mm. Um, You kind of take the whole like religion versus science argument, turn it on its head. And well, now it's working together because really, when you're faced down with demons uh, or evil, then, you know, what option do you really have but to become allies, right? And so this movie is much like Carpenter's other work a siege film all of these characters get trapped in the church overnight over the course of a few days trying to figure out like what is this object what is happening why are we having these strange dreams and um slowly but surely everything around them begins falling apart until that final act where uh, people are just kind of like dropping like flies becoming possessed and uh, taking each other out one by one until only a few people survive. Um, it is chilling. It, it it can be a really chilling movie and not just because Alice Cooper has a cameo in it uh, halfway through. Um, <laughs> but uh, it is uh, a very good one that I highly recommend any like anybody who likes horror films, give that movie a watch. It has some really solid moments and um, as on like on par with John's work, it is like beautifully made. Um, there are moments in that movie where today it might not seem as uh, like extreme or I mean, the, like the amount of gore that you might see in a horror movie today could be a lot. You don't really see that in Prince of Darkness, but the the kind of mood that it evokes is like unquestionably frightening. Um, there. All the characters have the same dream once they start working at the church and it is an apocalyptic dream um, Specifically of that church in the future and nobody knows why they're having it what's going on It's like a signal being sent from another dimension and then only at the end of the film do you see the full thing uh, un- unfold entirely And every time the the way that the the audio is designed, um the sound design with that is like this very static, heavy, Mm -hmm. uh like uh dreadful drone music, along with um, I think it's actually a voiceover of John himself uh repeating this this phrase uh to warn people who are watching, saying that this is this is real, this is from the future. We are transmitting this image to your mind. As you dream and you see this figure exit the church just floating and you're like wow that every every single time it sends chills down my spine because like it just like imagine that like you and your friends are like out camping or something and you all have the same dream and it's an apocalyptic dream and it just feels like weirdly real something about that is just too much (laughs) and it didn't take any gore any jump scares to do it was just Very good camera work, sound design, and a really solid idea at its core. And you haven't seen In the Mouth of Madness either. No. That one is another like really good horror film that I'd recommend. Both Prince of Darkness and In the Mouth of Madness are two parts of what Carpenter called his Apocalypse Trilogy. Uh, The third part of that is The Thing. In the Mouth of Madness is kind of different. Than Prince of Darkness and its approach. The very common line from that film is, do you read Sutter Kane? And the premise is this author, Sutter Kane, who is much like, I don't know, just a very popular author at this time in the film's universe. His books start to, in a sense, kind of become real, at least for the main characters of the film. Uh, Sam Neill uh, plays the main character and he is an insurance um, agent, or is uh, trying to find the author, is essentially the goal of the film. The, the company that publishes Sutter Kane's work has no clue where he is, and his new book is due to be published soon, but they have no way to contact him and no clue where he is, and the deadline's coming up, and we don't know what we're gonna do. So they send Sam Neill's character off to find the author, and in his journey, Uh, he just goes through all of these intensely strange scenarios and it's usually based around something that Kane has written in his books prior or um, it is other people coming up to him asking if he has read Sutter Kane and then toward the end you do kind of find that um, Sutter Kane has this uh, kind of like foresight or this um, this ability to see into another type of world that is telling him what to write. And in writing those things, it is bringing this force of evil to life until, uh, it eventually overwhelms the entire planet earth. And the only person left standing is Sam Neill's character who probably has gone insane by this point. Uh, and then, like, fun factly, the, the the movie In the Mouth of Madness is named after the book that the movie's about. The book that they're about to release, this publication is about to release, is called In the Mouth of Madness. So they're just, like, looking for the title of the film. <laughs> and I don't know if you've ever seen, there's a, there's a GIF around on the internet of uh, Sam Neill, like, in a movie theater, just hysterically laughing um, while eating popcorn uh that comes from this movie it's it's like it's just like that that laugh where you're like things have gotten too ridiculous and i have nothing else that i can do but laugh right um you know uh, nothing else i can do but scream and in that moment he's watching himself through the course of the film saying this is not reality. This is not reality. Like we, we were imagining things. This isn't real. Nothing about this is real. Oh, but wait, it is. And I'm sitting here in the theater just watching it myself. Have I gone mad? It is, it is another fun movie. And it kind of takes, um, again, um, less of a like blood and gut score approach and, uh, really focuses on, you know, the kind of like weird everyday things, the reality around you uh kind of breaking down. And in that sense, there's like that, a psychological horror element. John Carpenter kicked off the slasher genre of horror films with Halloween and Mike Myers. And that movie is, it, it is just like a, a huge monument in the genre. It is one of the most famous and popular parts of the genre. Um, but then Moving on, of course, he did like Christine, the Stephen King adaptation, um, and other horror films. But they all tend to kind of go in different explorations of what the genre is and could be. And we see that in Prince of Darkness and in The Mouth of Madness. There's, the, you know, it has its moments where there might be, you know, some really solid practical effects for for gore, but. Uh, At its core, they're really about getting under your skin, just finding ways to make you uncomfortable and then really like hammering that in once it gets under your skin. Um, And the imagery on screen, you know, might look tame compared to a lot of what we'd expect today, but I still feel those films are very powerful on their own.
0: Right. Absolutely. And then, I, I mean, I don't know how long we need to talk
1: about Halloween, but it definitely deserves a shout out. Yeah, if you have anything to say about Halloween, then absolutely go for it. Because like, I don't know, I that that movie alone and 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 its sequels. God, there's so many sequels, but like the right. ones that matter, the ones that matter. <laughs>
0: right. Well, Halloween is another one. It, it like I was saying at the beginning, where I, I've seen Halloween one, of course, I've seen that several times, and then the only one other one I've seen is 2018. Because uh, I mean, just to be honest, I've heard enough about the middle ones. I'm not interested in them. I I I, I may watch them eventually. But I love twenty eighteen. I can't wait for Halloween kills.
1: Yes, same. I I think the Halloween to Halloween twenty eighteen timeline is definitely the way to go. Um, The sequels start okay. I think Halloween two was a film that I, I don't Carpenter didn't direct it, but I think he still like had a hand in it. But then like after that, it kind of got a little crazy and sequels really go off the deep end with, with, and that's kind of the case with a lot of horror films too. Like, uh, right. I, I I don't, I don't think you've seen them, but um, one time a friend and I watched like the entire Nightmare on Elm Street franchise.
0: I, that's another one. I've seen the first one and then I saw the remake.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and like, there are some really good movies in that franchise, but then like even within one film, it can go from like really good to just really hokey and cheesy and an instant i feel like these john carpenter movies hold this like constant feeling over you where it it, it is like inescapable in a way i love both uh executions of it for sure because like i mean there's there's really nothing better than uh like a a cheesy horror film that uh you know has a lot of camp and uh humor to it you know you, you can you can sit and uh chomp on popcorn to that all day long but then there's also something special about just like sitting down to watch a movie and then like for the next two hours you're like lightly sweating because it's just it's just like very very scary and halloween does that really well i think um the dead by daylight chapter for halloween captures mike myers perfectly just uh, yes whenever i see him like staring at me and i hear that little audio Sting, I'm just like, Oh God, please. No.
0: Right. Yeah. I do think, uh, of, of every third party character I've played with in dead by daylight, Mike Myers feels the most accurate. The way you have to play as Mike Myers is the way Mike Myers operates on screen where you have to stand back for a while and then stare at people. And then when you chase, you do not let up.
1: Yeah. Mike is like one of the interesting characters in horror too because I think it, it goes a little bit against the the idea that you don't show the monster, right? You, you kind of wait until later in, in the film to reveal the, the, you know, the big evil that's uh, afflicting everybody. And I mean, that was like a big deal with Jaws, right? You, you went to see Jaws and you didn't see the shark until the end of the film. Uh, you might've seen its fin or, or the aftermath of its uh, carnage, but you didn't see it until it was attacking the boat. And in Halloween, you see Mike Myers all over the place. And that is, I think, I mean, each film has their, you know, individual needs as you know, Jaws needed to be hidden by the water. That made that movie much more tense and and, and dramatic and scary. Whereas like the more you see Mike Myers. You know, the more cause for concern, uh, you don't want to see Mike Myers. If you see him, then that's a bad sign. So uh, it's interesting how, again, there there, there isn't a, a clearly defined rule there. You know, show the monster when you need to.
0: And there's definitely some like uh, like real world circumstances that play into there when it comes to old movies. Right. Like for a lot of not only was it more effective as a storytelling, but just when the where special effects were at the time of a movie's creation. It just made more sense to show them in uh, like bits and pieces. It's like alien, right? I've been, as we were saying before we recorded, I've been kind of on an alien bender watching a lot of the alien franchise. And it's very interesting to watch the early alien movies where it's, you know, like aliens specifically comes to mind where the xenomorphs are kind of clunky. They're no less scary though, but you know, it's clearly either puppets or people in suits and then watching alien covenant where it's like, Oh yeah, this is like what this, you know, CG now being what it is 40 years later, uh, this is like what that was intended to look like,
1: which is interesting too, because you think about, uh, all the, the classic like moments where you saw like little snippets of a monster and then you finally got that, like that big reveal, I think of uh CG, which can be used like very effectively and masterfully, uh, executed, but, um, there's definitely like room to just kind of like give it all away at the beginning. Right. Um, But the like the way that the alien moves now with CG is just so uh, like, again, it's it's very alien, um, but uh, it's so much more involved. But uh, I almost wonder if in some cases the CG would make you miss out on a lot of the subtleties of the original films had that technology been available, right? Um, You wouldn't have the limitations of an actor in a suit uh, that you have to find a way to like make look menacing and scary versus all right did the vfx team like make it look scary enough
0: you know i actually have some thoughts in that vein but i want to put a pin in it for now
1: oh, cool cool
0: we'll be coming back to this i got two books to talk about uh the first one i want to talk about i don't read a lot of horror fiction that's another thing i've been trying to i don't know why i keep saying well i guess there's horror non-fiction but i don't read a lot of horror books uh and that's something i've been trying to do better but i found this one it's called let's go play at the adamses have you heard of this I have not. So it's by a man named Mendel Johnson. That was a a pen name. Uh, This is the only book he ever wrote before he passed. And I found this book online a few years ago. And at one point it was kind of surrounded in mystery because it was hard to find for a while. Uh, It has since gone into second, uh, a second print. The, there was something like the rights were restricted or something. And now you can get it pretty easily. I'm going to attach an article to the show notes talking about this because, uh, Uh, Look, a lot of horror deals with like, you know, things that are not pleasant to talk about right by nature. Uh, But I feel like with this, I specifically need to say like there are some trigger warnings associated with it. uh, And that article does a better job of explaining them than I could. But essentially, the basic premise is this uh, student. She's like a young 20 something named Barbara is babysitting the Adams kids. It's a a boy and girl. And uh, they have three neighborhood friends. And one day she wakes up and they have, uh, tied her to a bed. And it's kind of like, it starts off innocent enough where it's like playing off of that. Like, uh, it almost feels like a comedy setup of like kidnapping the babysitter. Right. But essentially the book kind of goes full Lord of the flies and just says like, okay, but what if they never let her go? Like, what if the, they just basically seized uh, power and, uh, and and that's kind of what it is for them, because this book came out in the 70s. The children call themselves the Freedom Five. And it's worth noting that it really does feel like the two Adams children don't seem to understand, like, what exactly is going on up to a point, whereas the the neighbor kids who two of them are older, like the the oldest of these children is like only five years younger than Barbara. She uh, she's 17 uh they they full well know what they're doing. There are parts of this book that I don't know how best to phrase it, but frankly they just you could tell it's written by a man. Uh there are some parts of this book that are very gratuitous and that's why I say like definitely do a little bit of research before you read it. But the reason I I bring it up and the reason it is very effective and scary is the writing style that uh Mendel Johnson uses. It's this like third person omniscient but very devoid of emotion to the point where it's like even the parts of the book that get really disturbing or heavy. It's just almost like you're reading a textbook. The amount of, uh, uh, just the, the curtness of the language and, and everything is just very factual. Uh, it'll stick with you. I would be really interested to see if it would be possible to do like a adaptation for TV or movies or something. I think it would benefit from having like a woman, led creative team. Uh, But yeah, it's, it's an interesting book. Uh, It's, it, it, it'll mess you up a little bit, I think.
1: Yeah. there's nothing, nothing fun about that. It sounds like, but it does sound very scary.
0: Yeah. It's very grounded horror. Obviously Uh, there, there is no, I will spoil right now. There is no supernatural element to
1: it. (laughs) (sighs) It reminds me, there's an episode of the X-Files called home where, um, a, there, there's a, a family of people who essentially live off grid and are surviving on their own on this farmland but uh, their mother is um, tied underneath the bed but it's not like a, a forceful kidnapping thing it's, it's something else but it just it gave me that image and I wonder like that, that episode is like terrifying and, and brutal to watch um, it's probably the, the, the most like horrific episode of the X-Files there is um, but it, it kind of sounds like it might have some roots in that book.
0: Potentially. Yeah. Well, the other book I wanted to talk about a little more in depth is one I've actually mentioned on the show before, and it's a graphic novel series called crossed Mike, you know of crossed. Cause I told you about crossed.
1: <laughs> You've shown me a little bit of crossed and it, yeah. So
0: crossed is also gross, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I think in my opinion, despite crossed being definitely more shocking than I think let's go play at the Adams, uh, Partially because it's a graphic novel, so there's that visual element. I think Crossed is a little more readable because Crossed is essentially a just a different take on zombies. Uh, and in my opinion, uh, this is my favorite type of zombie because I I think they're like legitimately scary. I think the Crossed are frightening. So to start at the beginning, the Crossed are people who have this disgusting rash on their face that forms a cross, and. Uh, essentially what it is, is their mind is totally taken over by their id. So all they want to do is, uh, be hedonistic and torturous. And there is, you know, some cannibalism, uh, it just, whatever you can imagine, that's what the cross want to do. But, uh, what makes the cross especially dangerous is they, uh, retain any knowledge they had when they were human. Also, they can talk. That feels like low-hanging fruit, but it's scary. Um, so if a crossed knows, or if a person knows how to fly a plane and then gets infected, the crossed knows how to fly a plane. In the very first issue, there's it's like implied that uh, one of the crossed made a nuclear reactor explode because they knew what they were doing and they just flipped the switch. So I, I'm going to mostly talk about volume one. A crossed was created by Garth Ennis. I think with crossed, uh, you get a little bit inconsistent quality because it is kind of like an anthology. Uh, There are very few recurring characters in separate issues or volumes of crossed. So I think depending on who's behind it, you know, at any given time, you may like it more or less, but I think volume one by Ennis is good basically. And there's another volume. I can't remember off the top of my head that Ennis came back for that. I also enjoyed. Uh, There's also a spinoff called crossed plus 100, where it's like a hundred years after the outbreak that Alan Moore wrote so I'm sure it's decent. I have not read that yet. Yeah, the crossed are really interesting because they, uh, you know, they are attracted to sound and like anything that would get a human's attention they are going to get the uh, cross attention. But another thing that I think makes them scary is they also will like linger and they'll kind of go like dormant. It's like seems to be like implied. That's how they conserve energy. But if like they hear something, they immediately are perked back up and are crazy and ravenous and trying to hunt down whatever made that sound. There's actually a detail in a issue where uh, someone is hiding in a crawl space from crossed and they essentially have to lay there for like three weeks because that's how much time it takes for the cross to ultimately move out of there on their own.
1: That is a long time to just hide.
0: Yup. And she's just laying there and like she talks about how she ate cockroaches and stuff to survive. Crossed is a book also like wants you to know right away that there is no cure or hope for anything. It's, it's very dour. <laughs> I did. Uh, I, I have a pretty, I think, uh, strong constitution, but, uh, when I fell down this rabbit hole, I was reading like exclusively crossed for about a month or two. Uh, and I started having weird dreams. <laughs> so I had to like put cross down, uh, it, it will stick with you. But I think if you are looking for a a new zombie thing, or just a uh, a different take on zombies, Crossed could be the book for you.
1: It's probably, like, it's kind of like the biggest, like, twist on zombies that I've seen that you've shared with me, because, I mean, there's a lot of things that try to do zombies in different ways, but Crossed is really, like, it it just kind of, like, seems like there's a switch in the the brain that, like, whatever it is, flipped it, and now everybody is just ravenous, even if they're, like, essentially still themselves. There's no, like, big mutations from what I saw it's just like a lot of people just doing the most base urges and impulses for the worst possible things so in that case like it's not like a rage virus it's not like a main man-made virus like R- Resident Evil or, or something that turns people into monsters it's just like something that brings out the monster within
0: yeah and, and that's the thing about the cross too the only way to really you, you know they could be outsmarted relatively easily because they just don't have like the focus to think a plan through, you know, like you could lure a crossed into a trap because it's not really thinking about that. It's just thinking about trying to get you, uh, that, and that gets a little bit retconned. There's like, I remember a future issue where there's like a crossed that can kind of like, has like self-control and like can lead the other cross. And I think that makes sense for the setup for the crossed plus 100, but that's in general where I kind of stopped liking the series as much. Uh, Another thing that's very scary about the crossed is the way the infection is spread is it's just a single drop of any biological fluid. Um, It can be saliva. It can be blood. It can be anything. Uh, If you come in contact with that and the infection is like instant, like it, it happens within seconds, they're crossed. Uh, there's a really, really cool scene where uh, at the beginning of the outbreak, some police officers have a crossed handcuffed in their cruiser and it spits at them through the grate. And just like that, there's now three crossed
1: that easy, that quick. Yeah, that is uh, all all just a formula for disaster.
0: This is another one I would love to see, like what black magic had to be conjured to get a successful cross live action adaptation on like Amazon Prime or something. Uh, cause I, I, I think it could work given the fact that zombies are still, you know, we've talked about like perhaps the zombie bubble has burst, but zombies are definitely popular in pop culture. So marketing this as like the next evolution of zombies, uh, I think it could do well.
1: You have to do a constitution, uh, skill check before you go to, to see it though. You really probably should. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I will
0: say, I mean, I showed you, there's like a very specific If you pick up crossed volume one from like your library or just find it on whatever, there's a very specific splash page at the end of like what would be issue one where you're going to know if crossed is for you or not. And I remember your reaction, Michael. I don't know how much it's for you, (laughs) but uh, I sure enjoyed cross. And I think if there is someone out there who uh, is looking for something like that, you might, too.
1: So I wanted to jump into. A little bit of some retro stuff. I mean, I guess I've already been talking about retro stuff. I've been talking about John Carpenter movies, you know, so that I suppose counts as retro. (laughs) Movies from the 80s aren't (laughs) quite video games from the 90s. But (laughs) nonetheless, um, I I, I've recently gotten into or, or gotten back into... Uh, some classics from the early and mid '90s uh, for video games, and specifically uh, first-person shooters by a once uh, little development studio called Id Software. And uh, growing up, I was very much into Doom I, and, and Quake. Uh, those games have been with me for a long time, and um, every now and then I get back to them. And it's 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 getting back to Doom season here. So one of the things about doom specifically is the classic, like the original doom still gets me sometimes. And I think that's just cause like when I was a kid playing it, like the monster designs and like this, like fight for survival, uh, feel that the game has a very frantic, fast paced action, um, was terrifying. Like it was, it was like a, a solid spooky thing to enjoy. Um, but uh that has like carried through to today where even when a uh, a pinky demon like comes out of the corner of my eye i still kind of jump a little bit like oh <laughs> what was that um and it still all looks very grotesque and uh just just horrific uh but there is nothing quite as horrifying as you know your your super science station on mars has been uh compromised and is being overrun by monsters oh wait those aren't monsters those are demons also, you're going to – well, not going to. You have to uh, fight your way through hell, literally. Quite a setup there for sure. Right. Um, but uh, honestly, it's, it's one that's stood the test of time. As you can see, Doom Eternal came out in 2020. And my gosh, that game is also good. And I think that one also sold very well. So – doom is definitely not a stranger to success it was a huge hit in the 90s and uh, it continues to be around today and doing well today but the original doom i don't know if you've ever played it roman um I it have not. had a fair share of controversy just based off of a lot of pixels <laughs> It is. I mean, gaming in the 90s, I mean, this game was essentially the one of the first big 3D games and probably the biggest first person shooter game out there um, of all time next to Wolfenstein 3D and Quake. Uh, but uh, some of the environments are just like they just look look like they're built out of f- flesh. There's a whole lot of uh, satanic and de- demonic imagery and symbolism throughout. Like this is uh, not only is Doom a like a horror game in a sense. Um, the fast paced action might kind of, you know, argue with you about that. But I still think of it as horror because you're going through these environments that are very very grotesque and chilling, but then you're also on a power fantasy, depending on what difficulty you're playing on. If you're playing on ultra violence, it might not be as power fantasy as it is uh fight for your life survival. But like, even like these pixels back in the day drew a lot of uh, eyes to controversy because like satanic symbols, this was, this was a metal fans wet dream uh, of a game. <laughs> Uh, and and in fact like a lot of the music is pulled from uh, inspiration of big thrash metal bands throughout the franchise it has gone through some different phases Doom 3 is probably more like survival horror than it is like classic Doom paced action and I booted that game up recently and I played like the intro mission to it and it eh, it kind of holds up like visually um it doesn't hold up a whole lot the game came out in 2004 so i can't give it too much flack but um the lighting in the game is still very good and in doom 3 like the, the first and foremost thing is darkness there's just darkness everywhere you're you're in a big space station base whatever on mars and uh the lights go out a lot a lot and you have to pull out a flashlight to see. And there are a bunch of mods that, like, you know, give you duct tape to put your flashlight on your gun in case you're a scaredy cat. But I, I think I'm going to replay through Doom 3 soon to see, you know, it's been m- many, many years since I've played it. Uh, but to, to see, you know, how it holds up. And I, I think I have to bypass using the flashlight mod because mm-hmm. there is something... To that idea I think when I was younger I thought it was ridiculous I have to switch between my flashlight and my gun so if I'm like walking in a dark corridor and I see a demon I have to turn off my light and pull out a gun to shoot it and you know in that process I kind of cannot see very well thinking about it today especially from a horror perspective um, that sounds incredibly good Yeah, that's effective for sure. And I I can't help but to feel that the flashlight mods, and I think on the Doom three BFG version, the 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 version that was like ported to consoles, and then released as like kind of a uh, a remaster of the game for PC. I think that also includes like a, a shoulder mounted flashlight or something. Which like, yeah, you're a space marine stationed on Mars. They're doing teleportation experiments they definitely have the technology to attach a light uh, (laughs) to a gun or to your suit or whatever. Right. I mean, hell it's 2020 and we've had like little headlamps uh, for your, for your noggin going all the way back. How many years? Uh, Surely they have that
0: literally coal miners.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, absolutely. You you know, and, and, but uh, there is still something to like having to switch between the two um, that, still like I, I I wanna try that again so badly um and then I have been playing through classic doom uh on ultra violence, and gosh, that game is brutal, um not only does it throw everything at you, but like it throws things behind you when you're not looking, and like you know what is what is a more um common horror trope than don't look behind you? you know like right there, there, there's something creeping over your shoulder and you just can't look in this case you definitely need to look and you need to shoot immediately <laughs> but um, <laughs> but uh, it, it, doom is like very well known for that like you, you press a button and immediately there's like 10 different things that spawn behind you because why not you just made progress in the level we got to stop you Um, and and there, there are some times where doom has that like Again, power fantasy, you are the one that they fear, the only one that they fear. Um, but uh, I would say that the newer Doom games, Doom 2016 and Doom Eternal, kind of turned down the horror on on the game's mix a little bit versus yeah. the original and Doom 3, um, which, like, the power fantasy is wonderful. I, I think that, like, being that one person Uh, slaying hell is a very fun premise for a game and I mean of course it's stood the test of time so uh, I'm definitely not alone in that thought Um, but there is something kind of nice about like Doom when it's a little bit more atmospheric and scary Um, and I think that's also a good opportunity to jump into id's follow up to Doom which is called Quake and Quake was originally going to be more of an RPG However, in development, they ran out of time, and it kind of just became a more technologically advanced Doom with a different aesthetic. However, Quake, the the very first Quake specifically, because Quake 2, Quake 3, Quake 4, those are massively different games, different narrative, different premise. They're still first-person shooters. They still have similar action. But the first Quake is the only one in which there is a, uh, a massive amount of Lovecraftian influence um, as well as, like, you know, your typical metal type of uh, imagery and symbolism in regards to, like, like Doom had its satanic and, and, and uh, cultish uh, symbolism throughout. Quake um, is one of, like, the first fully 3D games that ever came out. And, um, like, it, it came out in 1996 next to, like, Super Mario... Uh, 64 and, and and like that like lineup of 3D games it was one of the first true ones mm-hmm. um, so it has that that um, very massive title to its name but the atmosphere of the game is totally totally like unique to it I think there are games coming out today I think Gloomwood is a game that's on the horizon that is kind of similar in its aesthetic to quake Um, but it's just this very like dark and grimy uh, like castle like dark castles uh, large uh, uh, massive uh, architectural marvels that are just they feel like they're uh, greasy with slime and swamp water um, and, and like a lot of grays and browns which like when you think of a color palette for games and you say brown or gray kind of reminds me of like the like 2008 every video game ever but um <laughs> in, in 1996 this was like a very different aesthetic for a game doom is very bright and colorful quake is very dull and dreary and dreadful and uh, within it you encounter a lot of uh monster variety which uh again love crafty in nature a lot of a lot of teleportation and monsters that come in to try to stop you from like throwing lightning at you to uh knights trying to stab you and throw fireballs at you uh futuristic soldiers trying to gun you down as you jump between slip gates to try to um stop the forces of quake the game is Also, like again, kind of like Doom Three, um, not not as extreme, but it it is very dark um lighting, atmospheric lighting is pretty cool. As you're traveling through all these like castles and fighting hordes of uh like monsters, there's uh this um like a kind of oppressive feeling that like this universe is like just it would not there's not a whole lot of light. I don't know if there's a sun on this planet, right? Um and then top it all off, the soundtrack. Is uh was composed by Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails. And it's a whole all just ambience, ambient noise and atmosphere. Throughout the entire journey, its feel is like you kind of have a power fantasy going on because again, it's a doom-like first-person shooter, and Quake was the game that kind of set the standard for like deathmatch multiplayer and uh like the movement the fast-paced movement of an fps where you're jumping around bunny hopping and shooting things like crazy but then when you stop to smell the roses you realize there are no roses this (laughs) entire place is just dark and dreadful uh there's nothing quite like that and to see that there are games that are on the horizon or or are out now like indie games out there kind of capturing that mood that quake had is really nice to see because um this uh this like Lovecraftian horror uh feel for an FPS is very nice um I know there there have been like a few like Lovecraft adaptions to horror games like I think there's a Call of Cthulhu game but Quake is definitely in a league of its own it, it is a special piece of gaming history
0: yeah you know and as much as I like funny things and as much as I do enjoy like campy horror or horror comedy, There's just something about a horror thing that feels like absolutely dreadful the entire time you're in it, but does it effectively and still tells a story that is worthwhile. I can totally understand why some people don't want to do that, but I'm a sucker. I mean, both the things I've talked about so far are like not particularly fun all the time.
1: Yeah, and I think there's something to that too, because like I, I I love the campiness of like the original Evil Dead films, right? And mm-hmm. and those have um a lot of dread to them as well. But like it's a very, uh, expertly crafted balance. Uh, good job, Sam Raimi, um, and team. But um, like likewise, yeah. There's there's something about like that that like that dread of a of a horror setting, whether it be in a game or a movie, that um is somehow appealing and why it's appealing. I'm like off the top of my head right now. I'm not really sure, but it is. And um, I mean that for itself is uh, like the, the justification for horror fiction in general. Right. Right. Um, But uh, yeah, there, there is something to quake where like, again, speed runs of this game are super fast. This is like one of the like games done quick classics, and people play multiplayer deathmatch with this game like crazy um this is the game that ushered in like a uh, a huge huge amount of uh uh fps tropes to the point where if you're playing a game that is a 3d first person shooter it probably has some quake code hidden somewhere in the engine or some remnants of quake code it's that like that like omnipresent as a game though um gosh it it once you break away the gaminess of it because there isn't a whole lot of story it is just visuals and you just stop and look at those visuals you look at the monsters and their idle animations um it is just like imagining a world that is um one that you probably wouldn't want to be in. But here you are. Right. Uh, stop the forces of Quake.
0: I have a movie. It came out in 2019. So this is a little more recent. It's called The Color Out of Space. And it was directed by Richard Stanley. And it is uh, based on the Lovecraft story. Uh, I should mention this is a Shutter original movie. If anyone was interested in watching it. Uh, and The Color Out of Space is about a uh, essentially a... Space virus that infects this family and drives them mad, among other things. And this movie has everything. It has really striking visuals. It has amazing performances. Uh, Nicolas Cage, uh, he's an all-timer. You know, I don't think that's news to anyone. And he is absolutely so magnetic in this movie Uh, Tommy Chong is in it (laughs) and it's good. Uh, and there, so it has the cosmic horror element. And then also at the final act of the movie, it starts getting into some body horror and it's like old school looking body horror. Uh, very much feels like a love letter to like the works of John Carpenter. And it's amazing. There's one scene specifically I want to talk about because, uh, you know, I, I, a lot of people are familiar with HR. (laughs) Or <laughs> I almost said HR Geiger, which is also true. HP Lovecraft. Uh, and so I, you know, I suspect a lot of people are familiar with the story color out of space, so I don't need to recount the plot too much. But there's this one scene in particular when the Essentially the family starts being driven to madness. A news crew is out to interview the family about something that is happening on their farm. And Nicholas Cage is watching the broadcast later that night and he sees himself rambling and just like it's it's the first time the characters in the movie as well as us the viewers have actually had some space between the way the family is acting and the norm to kind of go like oh like there this is not right something is off here but Nick Cage's reaction is oh they made me look like an idiot <laughs> <laughs> Uh it's just incredible I watched it uh it might have just been last year for my like Halloween marathon. And uh it really stuck with me and quickly became one of my favorite horror movies. So Color Out of Space, uh 2019, it's on shutter. Highly recommend it.
1: I have it on my watch list right now and, and it's just waiting. Um along with many, many other movies that I, I still need to catch up on. That that one sounds fun. I, I didn't I did not know Nicolas Cage was in it until now, as well as um wait who's Tommy Chong Tommy Chong yeah oh my god
0: <laughs> yeah and um Nicolas Cage also has another movie on uh, is in another movie I should say on Shutter called Mandy that I've heard nothing but universal acclaim for uh, I still have not seen that one I plan to watch it this Halloween season
1: you should uh, definitely have like a, a 2022 summer of cage uh you know we just watch a bunch oh, of Nicolas Cage Get stuff in the right cage. I like that yeah
0: maybe I'll wait to watch Mandy <laughs> cage season till we get in the cage
1: (laughs) go through all of cages work um
0: (laughs) (laughs) i'm super into this idea that's amazing
1: it's a good idea it's a great idea um so i think the last game i want to talk about is another old one um but it's not as it's not 90s old and again it, it goes back to id software i've just been on an id software kick and this is one that i haven't played in a long time but i really want to play again uh it's called return to castle wolfenstein and On its face, it's not exactly a horror game, um, but it kind of is. The premise is, like all Wolfenstein games, it's World War II. You are a United States soldier named B.J. Blazkowicz, and there's a castle called Wolfenstein, and there are Nazis that you got to shoot because that's what you do. Um, However, this game takes a bit of a turn, prior to this game i mean you really only had wolf 3d it, that was it and so you know doom and quake had come and gone this game is built off of uh the the uh, a more modern version of quake although this game came out in something like 2001 i think so you know take that for what it is however um the story of this game this narrative starts out pretty standard you know uh world war ii uh, nazi shooting type affair however it quickly diverts toward uh the kind of experiments and occult uh interests that the nazis were looking into during late world war ii so as this uh lone united states soldier you are fighting against the Nazis and then, oh, they just awoke a crypt of zombies or, uh, you know, like some kind of otherworldly monsters that you have to also fight. So there is a, a heavy occult presence as um, scientists and the Nazi regime are trying to use uh, these powers for the Reich and you have to stop them, which also means stopping what they eventually either summon or create. And in this game, there's a lot of that. So it kind of blends between, uh, very like heavy occult imagery. Um, again, you know, classic for id, uh, with doom and quake, but, um, there's also a lot of body horror in this as well, because Nazis are also trying to create super soldiers with their experiments. And you also have to fight their prototypes uh, of which like, there is no shortage of soldier mixed with uh, like flesh machine type uh, look going on here. And they're all super soldiers with a lot of power Um, to the point where like, I think the final boss of the game is straight up a like, viking entity that the nazis summon into being that you have to stop um and it like again like probably shoots lightning at you i think um but uh there is uh there's a lot more to this first person shooter than like quake or doom had um it was uh one of the first uh games in their Roster that had a little bit extra to it, and in this case, there's some stealth that you that you can also uh, jump into, which again is a, a perfect for me because um, I love stealth games. Mm. Uh, I do remember like one particular mission where you're trying to break into the factory where they create the V two rockets, um, and to do that, you have to sneak through a camp and get onto the back of a truck that takes you into the the mountain bunker. Um. So if you raise the alarm, it's game over. So um, that was one that like stands out very much in my mind because sneaking through that place and then hearing the alarm because someone found you was like annoying, but uh, it was a challenge for sure um, that I enjoyed. And then um, the, the 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 sudden change from just kind of like a regular World War II game to Oh, wait, we're also fighting occult beasts and body horror experiments. Um, This game took a a big turn, big twist, whereas like other games at the time, we had Call of Duty, we had Medal of Honor. Uh, World War II first person shooter games were, you know, a dime a dozen. But if there's any of them that I think actually kind of matter, Wolfenstein is one of them. And I think it's because it does do this different approach. It does kind of jump into those other things. And, and you can kind of see it as a blend of a, a war game, but also a horror game. Uh, because when a an occult monstrosity jumps out at you, uh, you're, you're not thinking about Nazis anymore. You're thinking like, oh, damn, I almost got jumped um, by this horrific beast. <laughs> so um, there is that like very real feel to it there that like, it's like a horror movie. It's like it's like another horror game. Right. Um, there is uh, nothing quite like it, I think, in the in, in like the realm of World War II shooters. You know, if you're a history buff, this game isn't for you because it's totally inaccurate. You're not going to get like historically accurate battles. There's no D Day. There's no Battle of the Bulge. There's none of that stuff. There's not. It. It's not Medal of Honor or Call of Duty. And I think that's the thing that makes it uh, still interesting today. Whereas like we've had how many call of duty games and how many Medal of honor games at, and, and essentially like kind of how we talked a little earlier about how like zombies have kind of gone out of style a little bit. Um, there was a period of time, I think like late nineties, early two thousands where world war two games were just like all over the place. You could, you were tripping over them. Right. Um, and now they're essentially they're gone. And honestly, I don't think that's a bad thing because um, like how, how how much do we have to hammer on World War Two, right? I, I spent like two months studying that in high school. I'm kind of done. The fact that this game isn't just a World War Two set piece is what sets it apart to me. You have all these other elements that bring it together and make it so much better than just a, uh, you know, historical fiction piece. Um, it is now a little bit beyond that. And I, I, it's kind of same, same way I think of like the newer Wolfenstein games as well, where it's not really a historical set piece as much as it is a an interesting premise that takes this setting, gives it an alternate universe. And in that alternate universe, things are scary because that reality is not one that you want to be in. That and it's also kind of funny to watch Nazi scientists get gibbed uh, jibbed to pieces right. uh, when they try to summon an occult monster. Because the monster turns on them. Just very good. You can't can't get better than that.
0: The last thing on my list is maybe my favorite horror game ever. Uh, And it's another one that came out relatively recently. Also in the year of Our Lord 2019. Well, that's when it came out on Switch is when I played it. It originally came out, I believe, in (laughs) 2017. Uh, It's called Darkwood by Acid Wizard Studio. They are out of Poland. Darkwood is a survival horror game where you play as a mysterious stranger who is trapped in this supernatural forest that has risen up somewhere in the Eastern block. It's never formally stated. Uh, there's like Polish writing in the game. So we could say Poland, um, doesn't super matter to be honest. All you need to know is you're stuck in this forest and it seems to be expanding and the rest of the world knows about it, uh, seemingly, and it's being studied. And, uh, I believe you were actually sent in there originally to study, and that's why you got stuck. Uh, But in this forest, people get turned into monsters uh, and uh, eventually seemingly go feral and you have to survive. And it's all a top down game. uh, And and one thing that I immediately fell in love with is how the game does, uh, I guess your field of view is what you'd call it. And how it works is in front of you, you have this cone of light where you can see and, Outside of that cone of light on your screen, you may see something like a a building is there, like your character knows a building is there, or like there's a wrecked car on the other side of you. But if there is like a chest or a character or a monster there, you won't see them if you're not looking right at them. So it kind of is, I thought, a really clever way to convey that spatial awareness we all have every day in our life, where... You know, if you're walking down a street you're familiar with, you will know there's like a row of houses on the side, but you might not see the dog running at you that got loose from the house, you know, or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, so it, it also works as a pretty effective horror device, because if you're being chased by a monster, if you look forward to move forward, you can't see the monster now. It's coming up behind you. You don't know how close it is. The general loop of the game is that during the day you have to go out and get supplies and fix up your house And at night you have to stay inside because that's when the monsters come out and they will try to get in and they might get in and you have to kill them if, if they do. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned this or not. Uh, the map is procedurally generated. So every time you play, you could have slightly different And the game is basically broken up into two acts with, with a short prologue and, and epilogue. Uh, and another thing I really liked is, uh, you can get like the quote unquote true ending, uh, no matter how you play the game. So it's not that the decisions the game offers you don't matter. They just matter in so much as you value them, which I really appreciated. Uh, I found the game very, very scary, scarier than I originally thought. And, it, you know, I'm not sure exactly why I fell so head over heels with it. I think it's the the design and the story speak for itself as a quality game. But I was like really, really in love with this game. And maybe it's just because I don't play too many survival horror games. You know, I, I play Resident Evil. And that's like really it, to be honest. Like I couldn't think (laughs) of another one off the top of my head. Uh, The game does not tell you a whole lot. It is a lot of trial and error and figuring out for yourself. But I really enjoyed that. Uh, And even the way the map works, it's almost like a Metroidvania where you have to just find things on the map as you explore. But it's even less precise because when you open your map, you'll see like here's your base and then, you know, like, oh, a diagonally... South, you know, Southwest is this other house I found. And that's like considered a significant landmark in the game. So it'll show up on your map, but you're not placed on your map. Like you don't know exactly how far you are from your house or that place. You just know where those things are and can kind of like orient yourself that way. Uh, I found it extremely immersive. Uh, I thought the art style was uh, really beautiful, despite being so like macabre. Uh, I, I just really love this game, and I highly recommend it to anyone. It's basically on any platform you would, would want to play it. Uh, and I can't wait to see what Acid Wizard puts out next.
1: Yeah, this is another one that I've played, and I, I too think it's a very good horror game. It just has this like very oppressive atmosphere to it. The forest is just... It's just everywhere and there's no like easy way to escape. I mean that's the the goal of the game is to, to get out right uh, or or just to survive it. And um, I think one of the most effective things about that is like you mentioned the map, the fact that you have a map um, is is very funny because like you, you do need it and you do update it as you find important landmarks that potentially have items that you need to survive the night or to continue your exploration or complete a task or what have you. However, not being able to see where you are on the map, you know that, again, like your your home base or your, your shelter is like to the northeast in, a, in, in, in that direction. But there might be obstacles in that way that, you know, you have to take the long way or you have to avoid monsters. But not knowing where you are, I think really really defines that sense that this forest is expanding and you're you're kind of inside this this um ecosystem that is very oppressive and growing at a large rate that uh you cannot escape from and as you continue to explore you kind of become more familiar with the land around you but then you also kind of wonder are you really though um right. cuz it it, it it the game really does throw more and more at you i think as you go along cuz i remember like surviving the first few nights but then um the f- the late game uh later in the game like the nights trying to survive were just absolutely impossible yeah um eventually monsters do get in you do fight them Fighting is a little clunky, but by design, like you're just a person, you know, you don't necessarily have combat training and uh, you don't really have a lot of means at your disposal. So uh, it's not the kind of game that relies on, you know, giving you a power fantasy because it just you you don't always have that uh, ability to fall back on being able to just, you know, punch a thing really well or shoot a thing really well. So... Um, it's just being in the forest by yourself with everything else out to get you is the like a classic feeling in horror. And then also that forest, like not only does it feel alive in the sense that like trees are literally alive, you know, plants are literally living creatures. Um, but the sense that like this forest is some kind of like hive mind or, um, It is, it is all connected together and it knows like, it's like, it's almost like the trees are watching you and and the plants are watching you just as much as the monsters in the darkness beyond your vision are watching you.
0: You're right. You do. There is like a sense of you're like not alone the whole time you play the game.
1: That's just like totally oppressive.
0: Right. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: And then along with that, too, the uh, the 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 view that you have, your perception as your character, because it is two dimensional top down. Um, however, I I, I, I I totally agree with you that that per, uh, perception that you have where you can see uh, you have a field of vision that you can see very clearly within. And like, again, you have a sense of object permanence. If you, If there's a wrecked car or a tractor that you walk past, you know, it's there but you don't know if there's something hiding behind it. Right. And you cannot be certain until you check. It's a very Schrodinger's cat approach to, uh, you know, is there something there or not? And um, I think it's a very cool take on the fog of war that a lot of, like, classic real-time strategy games would use. You know, you, you set up your base, you move around the, the game area, and then you kind of, like, reveal the world as you go. Um, but in those games, it's, this is kind of purely so that you don't immediately know where your opponent is and and go wipe them off the map. You have a little bit more mystery, but in this game, that fog of war is, um, it's more of like a, it's more perception. You don't unlock the map or unlock things on your, on your map as you draw them. Um, it is moving about and did something behind that tree move just now? Should I go close and check it out? Or should I keep moving and hope it was nothing? But if I keep moving, I can't tell if it's there, if it moves again, because I'm not looking at it. And it really captures that 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 classic trip too of don't look behind you. You know, there's something creeping up behind you and if you look at it, it's gonna pounce on you. Right. But you can't see it because you don't have eyes in the back of your head, uh, and I think that is one of the, the most beautiful things about that game is that that cone of vision.
0: Yeah, uh, the two more things I just want to praise this game for, and then we can move on are, uh, like I mentioned, the basic gameplay loop is you you want to go out during the day and you want to be in at night, and if you are out at night, you are going to have a bad time almost immediately. Yeah. Uh, but the game does not give you a device to tell the time. <laughs> Uh You Unless have you to buy kind it. of figure it out. Yeah, the only way to get it is to buy it from the uh trader who does not come every day. Also, it you're not going to be able to afford it probably the first time you meet them. So for a few
1: times. Yeah.
0: And the game doesn't explicitly say you might want to buy the watch. It's just in the inventory and you can buy it if you want. And that just adds to the dread of the game so effectively because I remember the first time the sun set because the lighting changes and I just remember freaking out and thinking, oh no, this is it for me, but it's just the sun setting. It's just a very natural <laughs> point of the game. Uh, the second thing is I haven't done any research on this, but I'm convinced the game adapts to how you play ever so slightly. And the reason for that is, uh, you get a few different hideouts in the game, like places you can camp at night. And the second one I got, I became an expert at boarding that thing up. Uh, I, hid in an interior room with a light on, I had boarded up and placed traps by every window, so there's just no way they could get to me, and the only things that would come for me were things that, uh, I'm trying not to spoil too much here, were things that I could not plan for, that it was just like, oh, if this is going to happen to you, it's going to happen, and you have to deal with it, and the game has a few of those up its sleeve. Uh, and I just thought that was awesome. Like it, it wasn't frustrating or angry. It was adding to the horror. And also it was funny because <laughs> like I here I was thinking I was like king shit, baby. And the game was just like, OK, well, how about you deal handle this doofus? And uh, I couldn't. There's no way to except for just thinking on the fly and then, you know, dealing with it in that moment.
1: This game, I think, markets itself as a horror game without jump scares, and mm-hmm. I think that's absolutely true. Um, the, the closest thing to a jump scare that you could get in Darkwood is a monster attacking you from behind without you seeing it because, I mean, your eyes aren't in the back of your head. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I remember the first time a ghost showed up in my house uh, and just seeing that text on the screen of someone talking in the other room. Horrifying. Horrifying.
1: Oh, yeah, there are a lot of fun little environmental things like that, too, because you just get the sense that, like, your character's mental state is deteriorating uh, the longer you spend time in these woods. And to an extent, I mean, that that's probably true. Um, there are so many things that could happen at night, aside from monsters trying to break in, um, or the methods to which they try to break in with uh, are different, where... Uh, I've I've had nights where someone's knocking incessantly at the front door. And I've read that, you know, you might have rewards for opening the door, or you might also have punishments for opening the door. Depends on who's knocking. Mm-hmm. There's no way to know until you open the door, right? So that alone just kind of drives a lot of paranoia and fear, along with hearing someone talking in the other room. There's, there's a lot of fun little atmospheric type events like that that could happen and then yeah the, the subtle shift in, in in the the lighting during the day is very nice uh, just a very beautiful art design with um, the way that uh, you in the you can kind of clearly see what time of day it is but it's very easy to lose track of that because it moves fast enough that you know you, you you're you're wandering around the woods trying to scrounge for resources and then once the sky gets a little bit more uh, warmth and and the color of the light, you can tell that the sun is beginning to set. Oh, maybe I should like do this thing and then start heading back to camp real quick. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> and then you know as as you decide to do that, you know, or even if you're far you're far enough away that you start to head back to camp immediately, that sun is falling. Yep, rapidly. going down fast. <laughs> And as the light begins to diminish, it just it's just so terrifying. Like it, it is, you know, if you're afraid of the dark, then uh, Darkwood is probably your your arch nemesis of a video game for that alone. Right. Um, but ex- expertly executed there um, because a, a mere sunset has qualities to it that are just absolutely terrifying. Being out at night, not advisable. Don't do it. Not in Darkwood. You, yeah,
0: I, I would be curious to replay, knowing what I know now, and just see how long I could survive at night. Because at a certain point, the game is just going like, okay, I'm going to kill you now. <laughs> I don't know if you ever saw yeah. that. Uh, but yeah, it just it becomes impossible at a point, uh, and I, it would be funny to see how long you could last.
1: Later in the game, the nights are very brutal, and I don't think I survived a single night after a certain point, just because... No. I didn't have the resources for it, and the, what the game threw at me was just intense, mm-hmm. but um, the, the 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 key piece there is that even if you are killed during the night, you still wake up in the morning.
0: Yes. Yeah. And it kind of has like a Dark Souls thing where you can go get your stuff back too, uh, which is like once you get into the late game, dying is a strategy. Sometimes it's kind of like, okay, I'm going to like go get myself killed for uh strategic reasons.
1: Uh but let's put a pin in this for now and let's move on to your last one, friendo. I have one more thing to talk about, and that is a game called Granny. So Granny is definitely a horror game. It is not a grandma simulator. <laughs> it is a scary grandma simulator. Well, count me out. <laughs> <laughs> so Granny is a very small game. It's an indie game that came out in twenty eighteen. And it, it's, it's only $5 on Steam. Um, but it's it, it's kind of like, I don't want to say like a micro game. It, it's it's not really micro in, in, in any sense. It's just um, kind of small. But the premise is uh, you are a person, you have been kidnapped by the titular granny, and you have five days to escape her house. And inside her house are... A lot of puzzles. I mean, you get to the front door, and it's locked with at least five well, different types grandma. of locks. Well, she's a grandma. They love jigsaw puzzles. Yeah. So uh, you have to find a way to unlock the door, or there, there are usually um, more than one method of escape. Like, you can take a car, you can exit through the front door. Um, there, there's, there's a few varieties of escape And to do that, you need to uh, find some items and unlock some things. And hopefully along the way, you don't run into granny. Uh, The, 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 the shtick of this game, the gimmick is that uh, granny can hear very well. And everything you do, almost everything you do makes noise Uh, from like creaky floors to like knocking things off of uh, uh, tables. Like if, if you drop an item, like say you pick up a key. You can only hold one item at a time, so you need a key to unlock this door. You pick up the key. You unlock the door. You have to drop the key because it's still in your hand, right? So dropping that key alerts Granny because she can hear it, and so now she's coming toward you. You have to find a place to hide, but that's the entire gameplay loop, right? You pick up an item to do a thing because you need to do that in order to escape, but you also have to drop that item. So you have to start thinking about the space that you're in because you're in this small house um, with like a lot of nooks and crannies to, to hide in and, and and nooks and crannies that also lead to other paths through the house. Once you do something or once you trigger a noise, you really got to start thinking about where is Granny? And if I don't see her, then I, I, I better be cautious because if she comes around the corner, she's going to hit me over the head with a bat. <laughs> and then I have... Uh, fewer days left to try to escape. You only get five days to escape. And every time that granny catches up to you and knocks you out, you lose a day. And every time granny knocks you out, you also lose a little bit of movement speed, I think. Um, but it it's it's a fun game because every time you jump into it, it's different. It's randomized. Um, it's like if you took Resident Evil and all the key items and ammo and, and, and so forth was... Uh, remixed and jumbled throughout the, the game world. That's what this is. Every time you think that you've, you know, you go to pick up this key, it's in a different spot. Uh, so you, you really learn the house very well. The house doesn't change, but the location of all the items does. And that kind of changes your approach mm. while you're trying to dodge Granny. So um, with that, you just have to, you, ha- you have the keys at your disposal. You have to be quiet and you have to get all the items so you can get out. You can only hold one item at a time, so when you drop it, just make sure you run from Granny. Um, It does give you a few weapons, though. Like, there are some weapons to subdue Granny for a period of time. You can never get rid of her for good, though, unless you play the practice mode, which doesn't have Granny at all.
0: Oh, that's kind of cool. That's an interesting idea, uh, to familiarize yourself with the map and and stuff without the
1: stress of Granny. Right, because, like, I, I think to a certain degree... I mean, for me especially, like the the idea of like having to practice with granny there is a little too challenging. And I, I would not get to know the map very well. Otherwise though um, there, I mean, this is a kind of game where like once you kind of understand it, you can beat it in maybe 20 minutes. It's very short. And, and to that end as well, like for a $5 game, it's, it's really, really fun. Cause every time you play, it's a little different. And the, uh, the core mechanics are just very simple and very tight. Um, Granny 2 is also out there on Steam. I think it's also $5, and Granny 2 adds, I mean, it's a new house, uh, some new methods of escaping, same core uh, for the premise. Like Again, you have five days to escape. Don't get seen by Granny. Don't get bonked over the head by Granny. But there is one very big addition, Grandpa. Grandpa. and grandpa can't hear very well but he can see very well so it's the same case there where you're not just trying to dodge granny you're also trying to dodge grandpa you have two different people that you're trying to hide from and also escape from Uh, so it it, it blends a lot of classic survival horror elements together and gives them a nice like bite-sized game that you can enjoy over and over and over again, because it just continues to to remix itself whenever you start a new run. Uh, It's one of those ones where if if you're a horror fan, you love horror games, survival horror games, uh, it's perfect. It's it's right there for you. And, you know, you don't have to worry about uh, spending a lot of money. It's a nice little indie dev, $5 game. And then on top of that, uh, you know, you might only spend a few minutes in it because it's not a very long game. So, you know, you, you play for twenty minutes and then either finish a run or die in a run. You know, come back to another day, play another twenty minutes. Um, it's kind of thing where I feel like uh, a forty-hour game isn't necessary, and Granny is proof of that.
0: Right. Absolutely. On that note, why don't we, real quick, give everyone the rundown of what they can expect from Spooky Mechanics Twenty Twenty One next week we're gonna kick it off with alien isolation which i have just played for the first time and i'm very excited to talk about
1: and i am replaying it right now and oh gosh i am so excited to talk about this game and honestly one of my all-time favorite uh survival horror games for sure
0: and after that we do we have the uh, playstation 1 horror demo disc 2021 from Itchio. Uh, i have not started that yet i'm very excited
1: yeah, I'm very curious to see what that's like. Again, like small indie devs deserve a little bit of love. Right. Um And this one's free too, so very excited to check it out.
0: hmm Up next, we have the Evil Dead 2013 remake. Uh, personal favorite. I think that is a, a case of a horror remake of a drastically different tone done right.
1: Yeah, that movie is very good, and I can't wait to jump into the particulars on why. hmm
0: And then we have Song of Horror. Uh, I don't know much about that game. That was a you, you picked that one, Mike.
1: Yeah, this Song of Horror is a, uh, a survival horror game in the vein of old school Resident Evil and Silent Hill, with fixed camera angles and mm-hmm. perspectives, uh, but with modern 3D graphics. And honestly, I, I've seen a few streamers play it, but I didn't really like watch. It was kind of like an on in the background, so a lot of it will be fresh to me. I don't really know what the story is about or or what it's going to be about necessarily, but I'm excited to jump into it because it's a fresh uh, survival horror with fixed uh, camera angles. And I've been thinking about like, how cool would that be in 2020, 2021 for a little bit? So I'm I'm excited to play it for the first time. Mm
0: -hmm. And then after that, we have the Blair Witch game, which I've heard pretty decent things about. So I'm actually kind of excited to uh, get into that one. Yeah, me too. And after Blair Witch, we have Metroid Dread, which, uh, admittedly, we don't really know how scary that one's going to be. But I mean, come on, they're putting a new Metroid out in the middle of this. Of course, we're going to talk about it, and it seems spooky adjacent.
1: N- Nintendo just announced a Metroid out of the blue, and um, it it's exciting. Can't can't pass that up.
0: Right. It's kind of exciting too. Like looking at this on the list now, like that's on the radar. It's going to be here soonish.
1: Very soon. And after that, we have Silent Hill Two.
0: Yes, which I've never played any Silent Hill, so pretty excited for that. And then after Silent Hill Two, we have Carry On, which uh, I don't think either of us have played, but we've it's been on our radar since launch. So this is a good excuse to finally do that.
1: Yeah, it's like one of those ones where I've seen just a little bit of it, and that little bit that I did see really wanted me to, like I really want to play it. Right, right. Very, ex- very, very looking forward to it.
0: And then we're closing the whole thing down. With uh, a personal favorite of uh, both of ours, John Carpenter's *The Thing*.
1: I can't believe this movie was just panned on release. It is a yeah. masterpiece, and we're going to prove it.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, uh, we're going to finally set the discourse straight on the movie everyone loves. <laughs> <laughs> so that's Spooky Mechanics. Uh, I guess this is subject to change, but I don't really foresee that happening. I think we're we're both pretty happy with this list. Uh, so. Uh, I hope you are,
1: too. Spent years uh, trying to come up with the best Halloween list we could possibly do. And here we are.
0: Yeah. And then we thought of the second best one. And that's for next year. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So we will see everyone next week at the official start of the spooky season. That's usually you usually say
1: something. Oh, I I was trying to think of a a spooky thing to say, but I couldn't, and therefore I spooked myself.
0: Oh, well, it happens to the best of us, I guess. (laughs)